There is nothing I love more than an amazing meal with high quality meat cooked at home because let's be honest, eating out is so expensive. And you also know that eating out is the number one budget buster. That is why I am so glad I found ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service dedicated to delivering high quality, grass fed and grass finished beef, organic chicken, pork raised crate free and wild caught seafood directly to your doorstep with free shipping always. You even get exclusive member deals, recipes, and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing price. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Use code ETM and get $20 off your first box at ButcherBox.com. Last night, we made a beef stew with meat from ButcherBox, and you can taste the difference. It was so satisfying and delicious. And all of our friends that were over for a dinner party, they raved at how good it was. So do yourself a favor and eat better this year with the best meat and seafood on the planet delivered to your door. ButcherBox is offering my listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips, for free in every order for a year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm and use code etm to choose your free offer and get $20 off. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. In 2019, Rachel Richards quit her job and retired with over $15,000 a month in passive income. She's the best-selling author of Money, Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. And in this special summer reboot episode, she is sharing the power of building passive income right now. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Gain where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Now let's get to today's podcast. Rachel will inspire you. At 27 years old, she's a former financial advisor. She's really made a name for herself in personal finance because in 2019, she quit her job, retired with over $10,000 a month in passive income. She's also the best-selling author of Money Honey and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, And she's going to share what you need to know to start building passive income right now. 
Yes, even in isolation, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, use this time to get new skills and start building passive income. There is so much that I want to talk to you about. When I was writing out questions, uh, I was like, "Okay, I have to, I have to stop the questions, <laughs> otherwise this will be <laughs> this will be too long of an interview." But I, I wanted to start out um, and ask you probably like the big high level question. But how did you become a real estate investor with thirty five rental units at twenty seven? Like that is seriously impressive. So you you've got to give us some of the details. Like how, oh. how did you get there? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I and it's crazy too because my husband and I really only started investing in real estate in 2017. Wow. Um, yeah, and so we ha- we have 35 units, not property. So that's something that people sometimes get mixed up. Um, so really, 35 doors, and we have five properties. So like a couple of our properties are 11 or 12 unit apartment type buildings. Right. Um, but in 2017, you know, real estate investing was something I had always wanted to do. Because in my opinion, it's one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. Yes. So we started looking for our first rental in 2018. Um, and just to back up a little bit more, like the way that we came up with the money in the first place is just because we basically didn't have any debt and we were really good at saving. So I paid my way through school, through college by selling Cutco knives. Have you heard yes! of Cutco? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think my family bought some of those. <laughs> oh my gosh. Too funny. So they're the best. And and um, so I paid my way through school by selling knives. And then my husband, Andrew, had uh, military benefits because he's a veteran. So he went back to college and used his benefits to pay for school. So we didn't graduate with any debt. And not only that, but we were both like pretty frugal and pretty responsible with our money starting out. So we were saving you know, good chunks of money every paycheck. So by the time I was 24... And um, he was 29. We had a pretty good chunk of money saved. So that's where the initial money came for the down payment. Um, in 20, so in 2016, we started looking. And then in 2017, we found our first duplex that we bought. And we're in Louisville, Kentucky. So this is a very low cost of living area. You know, the housing market is low cost. So it's a great place to invest. And I preface you know, what I'm about to say, uh, because I know my Bay Area people would just scoff at me if heard <laughs> right. the price of our first rental. Um, but our duplex cost us $100,000. Wow. So we put 20 grand down in order to buy it. Um, and, and, you know, you just can't buy houses for that cheap in some other parts of the country. But that's how we've been able to do it here. Um, and once we bought that first duplex, like that's the best investment we'll really have ever um bought. That's what I tell my husband. We were making $500 in cash flow right off the bat. And now when it's fully rented, we're making closer to eight or $900 per month. That's, so that's in pure profit. And our ROI on that, like our cash on cash return has been close to 20%. Um, so once we bought that first property, then we were just saving all that extra money that we were making. So you start to build up momentum quickly. And then we had enough money to buy the next property. And then we had all that additional income. So it's kind of like a snowball effect. Um, we bought five properties in a span of two years and we own, so that's over 35 units total that we own now. Wow. I mean, that is just, it's, it sounds so easy. I know that it's not always that easy, but, um, you know, I think everyone wants to invest in real estate. I hear that like time and time again. I, I teach at a university here in California and the students are always like, yeah, I want to buy real estate. I want to buy real estate. I'm like, okay, but we have to actually like 
do some research and, and understand because I think most people think, well, you just buy like a single family home or a condo and suddenly you're a real estate millionaire, which it just doesn't always work out that way. Um, c- can you walk us through a little bit about like the process you went through of, of finding that first property? Like what sort of research did you do? Like were you were you fearful at all? Like Like what was that process like for you? Oh yeah, for sure. I'll I'll definitely share some of the things that I was looking for. You know, it was scary buying the first property because this is the first first real investment you're making. You're putting so much money into yeah. it and you don't know for sure. You know, you don't have any past success to back yourself up. So it's scary. <laughs> um but now though, like it's there's no emotion in it. I know when a property's a good deal or when it's not. So I can make a very, you know, non-emotional, logical decision and I know it's going to work out. Um but the first one's always scary. So there's a couple of things that my husband and I I were looking for in a rental property. And the first thing is location. You know, you really have to define whether you're investing in your city or you're investing out of state, what specific area do you want to invest in? Um, Because you can invest in areas that maybe aren't as nice, but you'd make more money, or you can invest in areas that are nicer, but maybe it's more competitive. So it's hard to make money. So that's where we narrowed it down first. And then we had basically two primary requirements in terms of the financials. So we because when we were investing in real estate, I wanted to have a certain return on investment. And when I say when I say that I mean cash on cash ROI because I knew I could make 8 or 10% in the stock market. I mean, that's what the yeah. stock market does over the long run. So I didn't want to invest in a rental to make 8 or 10% because then what's the point? You know, I could just <laughs> put it in the stock market. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try. I want to at least get a 12% ROI. And that feels like it's more worth it to me because that's a much higher return. So that's what we were looking for. And then the other thing we wanted was to... And at this point, we were kind of looking at single family homes. So I was thinking I wanted to have at least two or three hundred dollars in cash flow per month from that single family rental. Hmm. Um, and you know, maybe for yeah. a duplex, maybe I would want three or four hundred dollars per month for the total duplex. Um, so those are my initial requirements. And once you really figure out what you want those to be for yourself, then it makes the process very easy. You can take the emotion out of it. You just run the numbers until you find something that meets your requirements. And then, you know, you do some more research and make sure it, it's really meeting the requirements and then you buy it, um, which, you know, sounds easier said than done. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to underestimate how easy this is because one thing I've seen real estate investors do is they become discouraged because they're looking for weeks and weeks and months and months and they haven't found anything. And it is so easy to get discouraged and to think, man, I'm never going to find anything. Um, But truly in real estate investing, patience pays off. It took us nine solid months to find that first duplex. Wow. And I'm so glad we waited because we found that duplex. It was perfect. It was everything we wanted. So all the other properties we went and saw and all the other offers we made that didn't work out, like that all happened for a reason because this first duplex was the absolute best rental property we'll have ever bought. And when you talk about location, of course, we all know that like location, location, location uh, saying with, with real estate. But like when you're looking at location, are there certain things you're looking for or like certain things you're trying to avoid? 
Yeah. And this is more personalized. Yeah. Like some things like I don't want to be in a really high crime rate area. Like I don't want to feel unsafe when I'm going to my rental property. Um, so, and, but I, there's so many investors that I know in Louisville who actually prefer those areas because they're making a lot more, you know, the houses are cheaper in those areas. So mm-hmm. their ROI is a lot higher and that's great, you know, cause that works for some people. Um, that's just not what I wanted. And, you know, another thing that I look for is what are the up and coming areas right now? And what are the areas that maybe were up and coming a few years ago, but now are completely oversaturated? Because those ones I'll stay away from because normally the prices will be too high to even get into those markets anymore. Um, so it's, it's easiest to do this in the city that you live in because you obviously are familiar with your city, but it's also not impossible to invest out of state. I mean, I know many people who have done it and it's just a matter of maybe doing a little more due diligence and research and asking people in that city for their opinion. But you can definitely find those areas where they're just becoming popular, people are really moving in there. And that's typically a great place to pick up a rental property. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I actually have a lot of friends who I live in Los Angeles, obviously very expensive. Uh, Even to purchase something that is quote unquote lower priced, you still need a hefty chunk of cash to get in at a you know five or ten percent or twenty percent down. And so I have a lot of friends who have purchased out of state in in areas where like Louisville, it's it's a lower cost of entry, and they've had great success. And, you know, there was that fear of inv- not being able to to see their investment every day, not being able to drive by it, but they have had success with that. So like, what do you say to people who, who live maybe in some of these areas where real estate is really high priced and it might be tough to even get started? Yeah. I, so I love like talking about this. So thank you for asking, because I think it's so important to know that no matter where you live, you can still do this. And if you live in LA or San Diego or some of these places in California, it, it, it might be impossible to find the rental property that will work for you just because of financial constraints. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be able to go out there and buy a million dollar property and put 20% down. You know, <laughs> not everyone has 200 grand sitting yeah. around doing right. that. And, you know, that's what a lot of those properties can be, anywhere from 500 to a million or up. Um, But I have heard so many people from that area or from different parts of the country that have just decided I'm going to buy a property in a completely different state. You know, even states that are, you can't even drive to, that would be too long of a drive. You would have to fly to. Um, So one of my good friends who lives in Arizona, like an expensive part of Arizona, um, she grew up, I think I think it was Missouri where she grew up. So she was familiar with this city in Missouri and she decided, okay, I don't live there anymore, but you know, I this is if I'm gonna invest anywhere else in the country, at least I know this city somewhat. So she invested there. She bought this rental, she just turned it into an Airbnb. I mean, this is like her first month renting it out as an Airbnb. Wow. And her ROI is already like twenty or twenty-five percent. Wow. I mean, something absolutely crazy. Yeah. So it absolutely can be done. I mean, I know it feels scary, but you can still do your due diligence. You can still do all the things that you would do, even if you were in the same city as that by having other people do it for you. So I definitely encourage you to do that. Another example, um, 
is a friend that I have that used to live in Hawaii. And then she moved back to the U.S., like the continental U.S. And she decided, I'm going to keep my rental property, the property that I lived in, in Hawaii and rent it out. And so that feels scary because that's so, so (laughs) far away. But she has managed her property in Hawaii. She has a 0% vacancy rate. So she is able to turn it over. Literally, one person moves out and the next person moves in the next day. She's had pictures done. She's had maintenance done. Everything she's been able to do from over here. And she's never had to fly back once to manage it. So that's incredible. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of proof and a lot of success stories out there. Um, And I am actually about to become a long distance landlord myself. So I'm experiencing it too. Yeah, because all of my properties are here in Louisville, Kentucky. Literally in four days from now, we are moving to Colorado. So I will be a long distance landlord officially. Wow, that is exciting. What, uh, What prompted the move to Colorado? Well, now that we are financially independent and we can sort of go wherever we want, we've always wanted to move out west and we're really into hiking and the outdoors. So it's just something my husband and I have always wanted to do. And now we're finally making it happen. I love that. I love those stories. Yeah. I mean, being financially independent, you talk about being retired in 2019, which I think for so many people is like an envious state to be in and that you have over $10,000 per month in passive income. And so I'm curious, like, uh, walk me through a little bit of the passive income. I mean, obviously, we've talked a little bit about the real estate piece, but like, what are some of those other buckets to fill up like passive income? Because I think for so many people that feels like so out of reach. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about because it felt out of reach too. I mean, I didn't have any passive income just three years ago. So this $10,000 per month, we have been able to build up in three years. So it's really astounding how how far you can come in such a short period of time. Um, Yeah. So I have passive income from three sources, but two of the sources make up like 95% of it. And one is the real estate. And on any given month, we're making between seven and $12,000 in profit per month just from the real estate. And then my other big source of passive income is the royalties from my two best-selling books. Um, so Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. I actually just had my first $7,000 month in book sales. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> um, so that makes up a really big chunk now. So really, I think our passive income these days is closer to $15,000 a month, and we're hoping to get to the $20,000 mark in the next few months. That is so exciting. Like, I love hearing those stories. So you, you talked about your book, your new book out, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Before we kind of go through like more in the book, like tell me a little bit about like the strategy behind behind like launching the book and getting it to actually be a passive income source. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, some people have maybe misconceptions about what passive income is. So passive income is money that is earned with little to no ongoing work. Now, here's the catch, though, is that passive income, it does take money or time to create. So there's sort of two stages. In stage one, you're building the passive income stream. So for me, this would be writing the book, marketing the book, launching the book. And then in stage two, once you have your passive income stream going, then it becomes a lot more hands-off and that's where it really becomes passive, right? Because there's nothing passive about writing a book, right? <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> right. So the passive income comes after I've launched it and now I'm just doing, you know, a couple hours per week of marketing efforts just to maintain my sales. And so that's what's great about it. Um, so in terms of how 
how to do this, there was there's a source that I recommend. Um, it's a book that I found. It's called Published by Chandler Bolt. And before I had ever written a book, I always felt this desire to write a book. In fact, I think I read recently that something like 82 or 84, 84% of Americans want to write and publish a book. I believe it. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is really something that I think is on a lot of people's bucket lists. The problem for me was that I had no clue how to do this. I mean, how does one write and self-publish <laughs> and launch a book, you know? And make money. <laughs> yeah. And be successful financially. Um, but this book called Published by Chandler Bolt, it really talks you through everything that you need to know to do this from finding a book idea to outlining to here's how you have a launch group that can help you launch your group or launch your book. And and here's how you can continue to market it afterwards successfully. So once I had the tools, then I it, then it was easy for me. I sat down, I followed his process, and I launched both of my books very successfully. Listen, if you've been using Mint to manage your money, I have got some news for you. First, the bad news. As you might know, Mint is shutting down for good. But the good news, well, there is a way better alternative that is a personal favorite of mine, Monarch Money. And I'm not the only lover of Monarch Money. Many Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and just raving about it. I used to manage my money with an Excel spreadsheet. I know, so archaic. And it was so time consuming. I tried all of the apps, but I just didn't find one I liked until I found Monarch. And I've got to tell you a secret. Monarch is so easy to use with a very intuitive design. You can even collaborate with your partner and you can customize Monarch for whatever your needs are. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Let's go back to the collaboration bit. Because we know money is a leading cause of divorce and breakups, Monarch has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. You can see all your finances, make a budget together, get insights on your cash. Yes, cue the confetti. There will literally not be any more arguments over money. And if you've been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, or rarely updated, so was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful ad-free, and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Monarch has a tool that allows you as well to easily import your data from Mint. You can keep all of your tags and all of your categories. After trying Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Financial anxiety, anyone? Yeah, you're not alone. But worrying about it, it doesn't help. Earnin does. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 per day as you work and leave an additional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So how would you spend the money you get from Earnin? Well, 
honestly, my hubby and I have been feeling a little bit disconnected lately. That's what happens after you've been together about 12 years. So I would spend the money on a special date night with dinner and maybe bowling, you know, to bring back some of that giggly excitement that we both felt at the beginning. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security, gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin, T-A-L-K-A-N, money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin money under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. I love that because I um, I have actually been writing my first book and it sat in my head for a couple of years and I went back and oscillated between, uh, like, do I want to find a book publisher? Do I want to go through all of that? Is that even worth it to me to, you know what? I, I know what I'm doing. I have the tools. Like, why don't I just self publish it? And I, I love that there's this movement now of, it being possible to launch things out in the world, A, without having a huge publisher or tons of money or whatever it may be, that you can actually put your ideas, obviously they have to be good, they have to be executed well, but that there are these avenues to do these things and your story is proof that it can become a passive income source for you. And I think those stories need to be shared more. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you brought up to the self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Um, self-publishing is so cool because anyone can do it. And that's why I love passive income is because it's truly such an attainable source of income and it's an attainable way to retire early and achieve financial independence. And before I learned about self-publishing, you know, all I really had heard about was traditional publishing. You know, you write yeah. a book, you get a book deal with one of the big publishers, and then you publish a book. And you basically um, make no money in the process. Exactly. So <laughs> Unless when, you're a big author. Exactly. Because when you publish traditionally, you're making a 15% royalty and you're still expected to do most, if not all of the promoting and marketing of your book, which to me, once I learned that, I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense because I could self-publish. I'm still going to have to do all the marketing and I could be making anywhere from a 35 to 70% royalty on Amazon, which is an enormous difference. 
Yeah, I like those numbers much better. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tell me a little bit about like in your book, you you break down a lot of different like passive income strategies, which which I love. How do you if you're someone and you like this idea of passive income, like how do you vet out the different strategies and like figure out what might actually work for you? Like and then I guess maybe to complement that, like how do you then decide like, okay, this is my thing. Like I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah, for sure. Great question. In my book, I talk about 28 different passive income models. So there are plenty ideas out there. And the point I make is you don't have to try all 28 of these. You don't have to try even 10 or five. All it takes is one passive income stream to make work and you can continue to grow and increase that passive income stream. So there's definitely plenty of things that people can do. The first step is really asking yourself, Uh, Which do you have more of, time or money? Mm -hmm. Because it will require time or money to build a passive income stream. And the the follow-up question is, because my automatic response to that is, hey, I have neither. I don't have time (laughs) and I don't have money. (laughs) Right? So the follow-up question is, okay, if you don't have either one, which one will be easier to create? Will it be easier for you to create additional time, to free up time, or to free up or create additional money? Because there's no... I mean, there's no get rich quick scheme here. This isn't something that you snap your fingers and you have this money tree that's making money. So it does take work. Um, So that's what I would recommend, just kind of thinking about that in the beginning, because that way you can sort of narrow things down. Like if you have a lot of money, maybe you want to do something where you can generate portfolio income and generate income from dividends from stocks. You know, that's something that requires a lot of money to make a significant income. Or depending on how you do it, um, you could look at rental properties. Sometimes that requires a decent chunk of money to invest in a rental property. On the other hand, though, if you have more time, maybe you would consider doing something to create royalty income. So writing a book, um, writing and launching an online course. You know, if you're a musician, this is what musicians do. They write songs and they generate royalties from their music. So the royalty income category is really broad. And I think it's more attainable because it requires more of a time investment than a money investment. Exactly. Yeah. And so in in your book, like walking through these 28 different examples, if you're the like average person, you're you're getting into passive income, how many like revenue streams do you think are, is there like a crystal ball sort of number of like, oh, if you have three or four or five or 10 different passive income streams, or is it just really opening your brain up to the idea that, all of these are possible, maybe not something that you want to do all of these 28, but you could certainly try your hand at a bunch of these. Yeah. So there's no clear cut number, but I think that the best strategy is is narrow it down to the the number one passive income model that is that sounds the easiest to create or that you're the most excited about. And try with that first. And maybe you'll find, okay, this isn't as generating as much money as you hoped it would, or maybe you're not as passionate about this as you want it to be. And then maybe you can try another one and add it to that. So you could be somebody that tries a lot of these different passive income streams and you have, you know, 10 passive income streams that are each generating 500 bucks a month. You know, that's a great way to do it. Or you could do something the way more the way that I'm doing it. I have two main ones, but some people just have one. Like there's a lot of people who are completely retired because of their real estate investments. And so some people just want to focus on one thing, hit it out of the park with that, continue to grow that passive income stream until it's big enough, and then they're done. And really the secret is, 
you know, the epiphany that I had is a few years ago is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, that's when you're retired. So that's what you want to aim for. Um, but for me personally, and what I would recommend is don't just aim for that. Aim for more than that uh, because you want to have buffer room. You want to, if, if you're me, you want to still be able to save money each month because that just makes me feel more comfortable and really feel like I have that financial security. So that's why we aimed for $10,000 a month. I mean, that more than covers our living expenses. So we're still able to save a few thousand dollars and just have that buffer room so we feel very comfortable. Yeah, I really like you sharing that that epiphany because there's a lot of chatter out there about the the fire movement, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and I think, you know, just simply thinking about it in those terms is a great way to put it in perspective to people. Um I did I did have one question about real estate since that actually is, you know, one of your sort of two core passive incomes. So yeah, what do you do with with real estate? I'm trying to think of like the right way to phrase this question, but obviously there are real estate bubbles. Things happen. Um, you know, maybe there are maintenance issues with like a particular property. Like, walk me through like some of the the risks that go on investing in real estate, and maybe like how you've managed to to overcome those, or like think those through, or plan for those. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of risks. There's risks with anything that you do with your money. Um, but you can really reduce or eliminate those if you're, if you're smart about it. So one of the big risks, um, that I see or, or even mistakes that people make is thinking that, okay, if I rent out the house for X amount, we'll, we'll just say a thousand dollars and my mortgage payment is $800, then I'll be profiting $200 per month, right? Uh, but no, that is not right <laughs> because <laughs> you people forget to take into account all the other expenses that come along with home ownership. So you have to ask yourself, well, who's going to be responsible for the utilities, the tenant or the owner? Um, who's going to do pest control? Who's going to do lawn care, lawn maintenance? And then, you know, if you have, if you're in a homeowners, a homeowners association, then you have that HOA fee. Um, and then there's things like vacancy. Maybe it's not going to be rented 100% of the days because there might be a week or two between tenants when you're turning over the unit. Um, then you have maintenance and repair. And then you have this whole other bucket of capital expenditures, which are really the big ticket items that eventually you will have to repair over time. So things like a roof, the HVAC, um, the flooring, you know, things that they're not going to last for yeah. 20 entire years, maybe. So you have to also factor that in. So I think that the risk becomes for people, will I actually profit from this rental? And that risk can be completely eliminated by just planning for all these different things and factoring it in from the get-go. And really ensuring that you're accounting for everything and even adding like an additional 20% buffer is what I'd recommend. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what's the buffer margin there? <laughs> yeah, I always do 20%. Here, here's what you want to do. When I do, when I run my numbers before I put an offer in on a property, I want to be so conservative with my numbers. And maybe I think, okay, I'm going to make 250 bucks in profit from this property. That's what my estimates are. I want to be so conservative that when it actually comes down to it and I buy the property, and I'm renting it out, I'm actually beating my numbers and I'm making more than I thought. That's the right way to do it. And that's going to ensure that you're really accounting for all those different risks that are associated in terms of financial. That's um, such great advice. Yeah, thanks. And I would say another big risk that 
landlords would probably agree is a risk is just your tenants. <laughs> because anytime you're dealing with other humans in your business, you, that's a liability. You know, th- th- that's a liability because they're not going to take care of the property the way that you would. Um, if it's a multi unit property, you know, what if they're causing issues for the other tenants? What if something happens on your property that they cause, but you're the owner and you're responsible? You know, so there's big risks there. And the question I get a lot is, well, how do I find a good tenant? Because I think for landlords, tenants can be one of the hardest things to deal with for a property. Um, I know for us, that's made it very difficult at times. And you certainly don't want to invest in real estate to become a full-time landlord and to have to deal with all those issues. So not only do you want good tenants, but you want to have um, a property manager in place and you want to account for that in your financials as well. Um, and that can be difficult because finding a good property management company that's trustworthy can be hard. Um, so that's another risk. It's just all about, in my opinion, to eliminate or reduce the risk. It's all about having the right expectations going in and really accounting for the risks from the get-go because that's the only way to manage them. Did you, like from your first property, did you account for these risks or did you have any moments where like, oh man, I I totally forgot to think about that or this or, you know, had some of those sort of like whammy in the face moments? Oh my gosh, I am still learning. You know, I'm still (laughs) making mistakes. So here's a funny story, which wasn't funny at the time, but it is now. Um, You know, there was one time that we bought this property that was vacant and we were going to be doing some work on it to get it ready for people to live in. And we had bought this security system. Um, and on the day of closing, you know, I took the security system over to the property, but I fig- my husband was out of town at the time. So I figured we could wait a few days to install the security system. Oh, and no. in the meantime, I had like appliances delivered to the property as well, like brand new appliances. Um, so yeah, that first night, the uh, property was broken into and robbed. Oh. Um, now, luckily, and thank goodness for this. These people that robbed us were not professionals. They didn't have a way to carry out appliances and to haul those off. So they took anything that they could carry, which was like the security system that was boxed up. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) They they stole my security system. Yeah, it's the most ironic thing. Um, And they stole like some some tools and equipment and the microwaves or whatever. But um, I think it was like $1,000 total in damage, but it really could have been a lot worse. And luckily for us, you know, we had built that buffer into our numbers. We were able to pay for it and get by fine. And we learned a big lesson, which is when you buy a vacant property, make sure you protect your physical property and get that security system up right away. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. You're going to never make never make that mistake again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it cost me a thousand dollars to learn that. So that was an important education lesson for me. <laughs> but I love that you share that because I feel like like too often we talk about the successes that people have and we don't share like the moments of fear or the when things don't go right or that it doesn't have to all be perfect or you don't have to have everything figured out in the beginning. I think those are really important stories to share because I know at least for me that then like further motivates me of like, I I could do this. Like this is possible for me, for me. Like it moves me from that place of like, there's no way I could get there to, yeah, I could do it. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you just have to know you're going to make mistakes as you go. And that's all a part of the learning process. And, you know, I'm two, I'm two and a half, three years into this, and I'm still learning. I'm still thinking, oh, man, yeah, that's something I probably should have included in my lease. And then I'll make a note and make sure I revise my lease for the next tenant. But, you know, so it's, it's, you're always learning in the, in the business. So your, your new book, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, uh, have you always, when I was reading the book, I was like thinking about this, like, have you always been interested in this idea of passive income or where did this like really like bubble up, rise up in you that you were like, okay, this is how I want to live my life. Yeah, you know, I was always one of those people that I, I just had this gut feeling that I don't, I don't think I ever would have been fully satisfied working for somebody else. I truly wanted to either find a way to achieve financial independence or be my own business owner where I could control my time and where I worked and if and when I wanted to work. You know, time is your most valuable resource. Anyone can go out and make another dollar, but none of us can create another minute. So time is your most valuable resource and being able to be in full control of your time is one of the most powerful things. So I'm I'm incredibly grateful for where I am now. I mean, I'm astonished that we were able to do this so quickly. Um, and it's, it's something that I always wanted to work towards, but I don't think I ever heard of the concept of passive income until after we even invested in our first rental property. Wow. And then I started hearing about passive income. Um, you know, so real estate investing was really my initial way of trying to achieve early retirement and financial independence. And once I started learning about passive income, I just realized that there were so many ways to generate passive income. And so I started thinking of all the different ways that I could do this. And that's where a lot of the material from my book came is just from my own hours and hours and hours of research. Um, and another cool thing that I started to do was talk to experts that had already achieved early retirement and passive income. And I started to pick their brain. So like in the book, I interviewed Hal Elrod, who is the international best-selling author of The Miracle Morning. And I interviewed Bobby Hoyt, who has created um, this extremely successful blog and has online courses and makes over like 50 or 100 grand per month or something insane. He's the founder of <laughs> yes. The Millennial Money Man. Yeah. So very cool. And I got to interview David Osborne, who is one of the most successful real estate franchise owners in the world. So it was through a lot of these conversations with people that I got really excited. And I realized, man, this is actually a lot easier to retire this way. Like this is something anybody can do, even if they're starting from nothing. I mean, that's where I started. Even if they don't have a ton of money, they can do passive income. So once I started learning more about this, I just got so excited and I realized this is what I wanted to focus on. And, you know, I thought thought it was going to take us years and years. But once we got going, that momentum just builds quickly. And it's it's really surprising how much you can accomplish in just a few short years. All of this like gets me just so excited because I know for so many people, this is like a passion, but it's always the how. How do I do this? How do I start? So I, I just I loved reading your book because you really like walked through these different examples in a way that I think anybody could see themselves as this being like a possibility for them. And you have you have so much personal finance advice. I would love to just kind of like sum up like if you could distill everything that you've learned this far down to like maybe your top, you know, one or two best money tips that you think everyone should know and master. What what would those be? 
Oh my gosh, absolutely. I get so fired up about the topic of, of personal finance. So I could just give so many tips. But, you know, one thing that is so important, just in general, like a general, extremely important financial tip is to start investing at a young age. No matter if you're investing in the stock market or investing in real estate or whatever it may be, start as soon as you can because time is your biggest advantage. Even if you don't pick the best investments or have a ton of money, you will still be better off than an expert investor who waits 10 years from now to start investing. You know, so the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. So don't wait to start investing. It's one of the most important things you can do to set yourself up for your financial future. Um, Another really important concept in terms of money management is just the idea that delayed gratification is so important. So having the discipline to say no to something today that maybe you want to buy, but you don't need to buy will give you so much more freedom in the future to say yes to all the different things that you want to buy. And really what I've learned and what I believe is that delayed gratification is the single biggest factor in your financial success. So I think it's so important to have that self-discipline and to really think about your future self and what are the things you can do today to take care of your future self. I know, especially now, Rachel's story really inspires me. There are so many different ways to build a passive income strategy. And I know I'm going to be stealing, I mean, borrowing, of course, a few of her tips. You can find Rachel on her site at mymoneyhoneyrachel.com and pick up her two books, Money Honey and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, both on Amazon. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. She also loves to post funny memes on social media. We could all use a few of those right now. So check her out on Money Honey Rachel on Instagram. And I want to leave you with something a little bit different today with a message from The Kind Message. It says, history will remember when the world stopped and the flight stayed on the ground and the cars parked in the street and the trains didn't run. History will remember when the schools closed and the children stayed indoors and the medical staff walked towards the fire and they didn't run. History will remember when the people sang on their balconies in isolation, but so very much together in courage and song. History will remember when the people fought for their old and their weak, protected the vulnerable by doing nothing at all. History will remember when the virus left and the houses open, and the people came out, and they hugged and kissed, and started again, kinder than before. Hey you! Yes, you! Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes, or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode.